Welcome to College Soccer Nation, the premier podcast focused on NCAA collegiate soccer, featuring SMU head women's coach Chris Petroselli and Old Miss head women's coach Mad Mod. You can download and listen to this podcast on your favorite podcast provider. And if you like what you hear, leave a five-star review and tell your soccer friends. Now let's go to Coach Petroselli and Coach Mod. College Soccer Nation, December 13th. It's Monday, and we have a special treat for our listeners today. Uh, Chris Petroselli is with me. Uh, one of the co-hosts, and, and, and we've got a special, special episode, Chris Philemon. Yeah, Bill Bessick, the, uh, just the best sports uh, psychologist. Yeah. Um, the best that there is. Um, he'll be joining us all the way from, from England, and we'll have a chance to talk to him about a new book that he has out. Yeah. Uh, Changing Your Story, 20 Life Lessons Drawn from Elite Sport is the book. We both got signed copies. Both were able to read it. I actually downloaded the uh, audio version as well. So, so were you able little... to read it? Like you weren't able <laughs> yes. to read it, so you had to listen to it. <laughs> uh, maybe a little bit of both, uh, but I thought it was fantastic and uh, looking forward to really chatting with him. Uh, he's just such a good storyteller and such a good, I mean, he's bright as they come. So super excited. Yeah, it'll be we'll chat with him here in, in the next in the next see what he what he comes up with. And you know, like you said, there'll be some stories in there that'll be yeah entertaining. Absolutely. So men's college cup just finished yeah. up, right? Yeah. We had, we had like a championship weekend, right? I mean, the men's college cup finished up with, with Clemson uh winning. So congratulations to, to Clemson and yeah. uh the MLS final, you know, was was this weekend. Right. Which, you know, really entertaining and, and exciting at the end. And one of the things from the MLS final that, that came out to me was, did you see the crowds in New York City that were watching it on big screen? And it was awesome. Yeah. Times Square and, and, yeah. and all of that. I mean, uh, it was great to see. Great to see that kind of passion for, for uh, our league. I mean, the MLS is growing and it's growing. I mean, it's adding teams. That Nashville team did really well. And those those were packed stadiums. I mean, it's uh, it's fantastic. It's great to see. It's great time to be involved in in soccer in this country, Chris. I feel very very fortunate that we we get to make a living uh, uh, doing this and working in this sport and and you know trying to prepare players to be pros and you know the NWSLs really kick in and uh, so it's exciting and and yes, no congratulations to Clemson. You know you look at you know they kind of went out last year and. A bit of an upset, and for them to get their, you know, for Mike to get his team back in, in into the final. Uh, congratulations to them and a, a well earned um, national championship. Yeah, for sure, for sure, and you know, it's kind of what we're doing this time of year. We're, we're watching TV, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I still don't have my outdoor Christmas lights out yet. You know, I need to do it. I was going to do it yesterday, but then. Redskins were playing the Cowboys. I had to watch that. The and then, you got to get BB up on the yeah, roof. Yeah, get BB's up on the roof. I do, for sure. Um, but the EPL games, right? I mean, yeah, uh, absolutely. EPL games this time of year, they're, they're playing almost every day. And Yeah. Um, it's nice to see Chelsea placed in front of uh, United, continue to stay in front of United. So that is a, is a nice, is, is a nice thing. Uh, that's nice. that's, that's the, great. The NFL has been uh, kind of tough. <laughs> and I mean, I'm, I'm a Giants fan. They stink. My, yeah. my second team is is the Saints, where where Zach is. And the Saints won yesterday only because they played the Jets, who are mm. even worse than the Giants, right? Um, yeah, I, you know, I'm with you. 
the Redskins, they do it every year. They get a little run here. They won four games in a row. We're like, they're back. They're ready to roll. And then they literally put out a practice squad team yesterday against Cowboys. And, and, and actually, made, you felt they might win, though, right? Yeah, they well, they were back. coming back. I don't know if I ever felt they'd win, but they were coming back. But they just ripped my heart out all the time. Washington, Washington football team. I apologize. Washington, Washington football team. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, let's uh, – I think Bill's ready to go. You want to yeah, get in with him? Let's do it. Okay, Chris, um, very, very excited. We're here to discuss a new book that just came out. It's called Changing Your Story, 20 Life Lessons Drawn from Elite Sport. We're joined with the author of the book, the world-renowned sports psychologist, Bill Bezik. Uh, Bill, welcome to the show. Certainly happy and thrilled and honored for you to join us today. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Chris. Um, let, let's just, just so we can kind of set Bill's background for those who don't know him. And I think most people that probably listen to our, our show do are aware of Bill's work, but his background, just in a snapshot, Bill was a, a gold, medal, gold medal winning coach of the England basketball team in the Commonwealth Championship. He became the first performance psychologist operating fully in professional soccer. He worked with eight premier um, league teams champion in English championship leagues. Um, including my beloved Manchester United, Sunderland, um, to name a few, um, as well as working with uh, FC Twente. Am I saying that right? Twente in uh, the Dutch League. Yep. He has worked with both men's and women's English national teams in soccer, basketball, rugby, teaches mental preparation skills uh, to Great Britain's swimming group. Um, it's an unbelievable resume. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. As we know, he's worked with a number of teams here in the United States as well. And um, so just a real honor to have him join us uh, today. And, and Bill, I guess my first question is, do you have a favorite group of athlete or team that you worked with? <laughs> <laughs> that's too dangerous. Of a question. <laughs> that's a minefield of a question. Uh, I am one of those strange people. I love every team I work with. I fall in love with my teams. I, I spent a year as a parent. I've got two boys and they both played rugby and parents had to take it in turn. Had to do their volunteer help to coach teams in mm -hmm. the local club. And I was a national coach and quite well known. And they, they, they said, you can coach any team in the club, Bill. They were so delighted I was going to do a year's work. I said, I'll choose the under eights. <laughs> and I went with the U8s, and I my you, their mums were about 28, 29, 30, 31. So mm -hmm. that was a reasonable motivation for me. <laughs> so, but they lost every game that season. And I loved them. Yeah. And I think the answer to your question, Matt, is if you don't love your teams, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. They're great young people. And so I love them, and that leads me to see what they can do, not be focused on what they can't. So many coaches get drawn with their teams into the thoughts dominating their mind of what the team can't do. And you're missing a, a big chunk of positive psychology, what your team can actually do. Hammer that, focus on that, and then tidy up the other things. It's so, uh, so important. I think we, we do that as coaches with our players as well, you know, or even as we're recruiting players, we, we go, well, they can't do this. They can't do that. They can't do this. Meanwhile, there's nobody out there who can do it all. Right. Yes, correct. So everybody's going to have flaws. And I do think it's important to, to, to focus on what they can do. I, I love that. Um, 
No, how, how, I know you started coming. You started coming over here, you know, back in the '90s, and and doing stuff with uh, what what then was the NSCAA, now is United Soccer Coaches, and and then you know started work, working with some people and some teams within the U.S. But how did you end up coming to the U.S. in the beginning? Who who brought you over, and 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 what was the purpose of the whole thing? Well, my original trips were as a basketball coach, because as assistant England coach, uh, one of my roles was recruiting and and we did have one or two players especially one at boston college who playing basketball on a scholarship who were english and i had to go and persuade them to spend their vacation times playing for the national team because they were obviously very good players so i had made a few trips over to usa with my basketball hat on i mean i love basketball i adore it and one of the highlights of my life has been going to the the garden to watch Boston versus New York Knicks and seeing Larry Bird. It wow. Was just incredible. Uh, meeting our batch afterwards. Uh, oh, wow. Mm, yeah, wow. Fantastic. So uh, that was when I was a basketball coach, but then I, I finished my contract as a basketball coach because my pressure at home and work were too great and uh, my two boys needed more attention. Um, but then I got back into sports psychology in my soccer. Uh, and Umbro sent me over in 95 to speak at the convention. Um, and I met some really good people. I, I mean, it blew my mind, the convention. It blew my mind. It was mm. of a scale I'd never seen before. I absolutely fell in love with it. And the NSCCA, no. National Soccer Coaches Association, now USC. Were, were very good with me, very kind, very generous. And I've, I've sort of done a lot of work for them ever since. That's great, Bill. So let's, let's if we don't mind, let's dive into the book, book a little bit. Changing Your Story, 20 Life Lessons Drawn from Elite Sport. So if you wouldn't mind, Bill, give us a little bit of the, the maybe the background of why you decided to write the book. Well, I, I think it's been described as my legacy book, but I think I, I hope I've got a few years left. So, <laughs> but uh, yes. it, it really sums up a lot of the lessons in my, in, in my sporting life. Um, and about three years ago, I hadn't conceived of it as a book, um, but three years ago, I went to speak in London to a group of senior business people, senior business leaders which is something I do mostly for the money, I hasten to add. <laughs> and after I'd finished the talk, a young lady came up to see me and said, I am the commissioning editor for Penguin Books. So she said, I would love to edit your book, be the editor for your book. I said, do you, can you see a book in that? She said, I think it's a fantastic book because while you were giving stories from sport, people in the audience were writing down things for their own life. People have been talking to me and saying, I'm going to do that tomorrow. I'm going to set six goals at night for the next day and then tick them off the next night and get more structure into my life. And I realized there was a rationale for it. And so I agreed to do one story and then we'll see if it worked. And I did one story, sent it to her and she loved it. And then we, we rolled on and, the, I, I do believe the book is one of the best things I've ever done. But mm -hmm. I, think, I think at my age, 76, you should be able to sum up 
enough experience to help young coaches to to do something like that. Yeah, I, I like the um, sort of the structure of the book. First of all, 20, 20 lessons is you know it's a good amount for sure. Yes. Um, and then sort of the way you go, you know, you identify the issue, you define it, you discuss it. You always tell a little story in there. Um, and then the action plan, right, of, of how, you, how you move forward. Is this sort of the way that you uh, work with teams? Is that the way you go about it? Or how did you come up with that sort of structure? Exactly, Chris. It's, it's the, it's, it's, when I started... I was a real out-and-out pioneer. There was nobody to help me, nobody to shape my thinking, nobody to tell me which way to go about things. I really had trial and error as the only way of learning, and I made many mistakes. There's another book in, in, in the making, My Best Thousand Mistakes. So, <laughs> so I, I came up with a formula. Uh, I realized that what I had to do was persuade teams of the power of mindset, then talk about what was the optimum mindset for their sport, then look at the issues that could get in the way, and then look at the strategies that we could use to overcome those issues. So those are my four building blocks. Defining the power of mindset on sport, identifying what the optimum mindset was for your sport, looking at the issues that could get in the way and then strategies we could use. So what I do is take in the 20 life lessons, I take an athlete that came to me with a problem or a team that came to, or a coach that came to me with a problem. And then I, I look at that problem and examine it under those four criteria and show how the player the coach or the team and I identified what is the problem? What is the problem? And then we work together to solve that problem. And then, so the first part is identifying the athlete, the sport, what the problem is. The second part is working together with the athlete. I don't have all the answers. The athlete, often the coach has the answers mostly. So I just shape the thinking how we work together to solve the problem. Third part is how we, we action plan that and the athlete or the coach or the team resolve the problem to their benefit. Then the fourth part is this could happen in your life. These things happen in life. Setbacks occur in life. Loss of emotional control happen in life. What lessons can we learn from that story to help us live a better, more constructive life? It's, re it's really good. And, 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 um, and we'll get into it maybe in a little bit, but, you know, reading the books, I was highlighting, I was folding down pages because I'm like, we're going to do this with our team. We're going to do this with our team. Um, and to the point where I said, we need to buy this book for everybody on our team because yeah. um, I agree with that. But uh, so I, one of the things that I think I could listen to you talk for, for hours on end because it's just so insightful. But part of it, the thing that I think is really good is your storytelling. I know you talk about that in the beginning with your brother. So how, how did you become such a good storyteller? It comes from coming from a poor family. We had no other entertainment. <laughs> we, we, had one, we had no television, no radio. We had one source of heating, a coal fire in the front room. We all used to huddle around the fire. 
And when people huddle around a fire, and it's gone that way for since time immemorial, mm-hmm. people talk and share because it's the only entertainment you've got. And I mentioned in the book that the one particular storytelling day was Sunday morning when my father, we'd get tea and toast and sit around the fire, and I had three elder brothers, and my father would make each one of us stand up in turn and talk about our game the previous day. So Freddie, Jimmy, Frankie, and then finally me with my little game of primary school or whatever, would talk about our game. And Fred, the eldest, was the master of storytelling. He was absolutely wonderful. He painted such glorious pictures. He was always the hero. This was before we had film, of course, so nobody can can verify the truth of this. But he was, I listened as a a young boy, 10, 11 years of age, to my eldest brother, Fred, talking, spinning stories, talking, painting pictures of, of wonderful things happening on a soccer field. And I think the origins of my storytelling come from that. The second factor is, when I did go into professional sport as a sports psychologist, there was a lot of resistance because at the time, sport was a macho culture. It mm. was, you, it was, you couldn't be seen as weak. Showing weakness was a sign of you're not fit for the job. So I had to find a way to talk to these boys, and it was all boys at the beginning, I had to wait to find a way to talk to these boys in a way that captured them because he couldn't lecture to them. And they could only take, when I started, only take 15, 20 minutes and then they were gone. Mm-hmm. So what I'd do is tell them a story. So with the England team, the first time I met them, I, t- I told them a story about Michael Jordan because the theme was taking responsibility. And I talked about how he took over in the final two minutes of the game and took responsibility, but how he missed as well as scored, but he was eight, he was big enough to cope with that. Then I showed them some clips and they were, they loved it. So I, I, I found storytelling was a good way to connect with young generation. You're uh, one of the, one of the stories that, that uh, I really liked was in the, in the chapter talking about changing your story. And you talked about, a coach calling you with basically his team missing players falling apart. Um, and you basically hung up on him, right? <laughs> I really enjoyed that, Chris. I really enjoyed that. My, my wife was set opposite in the office and she's going, what are you doing? <laughs> but I did really like the way the way it all worked out. And can you can you tell us about that a little bit? I thought I thought it was really good. <laughs> well, I'd never come across that before. It's just an idea that occurred to me. The coach came on to me and said that you know we're playing the number one team in the country in two nights' time. We're on national TV. We've sold every ticket for the game. I've got five regulars injured. I've had four more suspended this morning for drugs. Uh, I'm in deep trouble. I'm playing 18 year old kids, some of whom have not played for the first team before. I'm really in a terrible mess. Can you help me? And I thought, what a terrible story. That's not a story I expect a coach to say. So I said to him, yeah, I, certainly I can help you. Bring me back in an hour and change the story. And there was, there was a, a gasp from the other end of the phone. What? I said, I don't like the story, change the story. 
So I waited an hour. Valus, my wife said, he'll never call you back. You'll never hear from him again. <laughs> he called me back in an hour and he said, Bill, I just wanted to share a fantastic opportunity I've got. I've got a team of 18-year-olds who'll die for me. We're playing the number one team in the country on national television. How good is that? With a full house at the stadium. We will press them all over the field. We will run them to death. I just wanted to share this with you, Bill. I said, Coach, fantastic. Text me the result. Two nights later, in the middle of the night, of course, when I was asleep, the text came through. 1-2-0, thanks. And the message, Chris, was that in sport, it's inevitable that sometimes the stories you face are difficult stories, challenging stories. I think the coach's job is to change the story, to interpret the situation differently for their players. We all have bad times, but we have, to, we have the power to interpret those bad times in different ways. And I think the coach that can get over themselves and their own fears and doubts and anxieties and interpret the, the situations into meaningful, positive ways forward for their players is the great coach. That's great. That's what a great story, too. All right, I've got to hit you with another one. Um, our girl from Liverpool. <laughs> the, the, <laughs> that was uh, that one. I was reading that one. I was like, "This is uh, this is fantastic." So, um, you know, refuse to refuse to just take the draw, right? Yeah, tell us a little bit about this. It was great. It was great. She was a winner. I, I, mm -hmm. She she faced a lot of situations. Captain of her school team, playing in the Liverpool schools final, one one at full time. Referee says. We should do extra time, but you're, there's 13-year-old girls in a stadium with a bigger crowd than they used to. Referee offered them the chance to share the trophy. Two captains ran back to talk to the team. Yasmin's team said, we'll share the trophy. Yasmin went back. The other, the other captain said, we've decided to share the trophy. Yasmin said, we've decided to do extra time. She went back, told her team, they've decided to do extra time. Yeah. <laughs> did extra time, it's 1-1. One, one. <laughs> The referee calls them over and said, we should have a penalty shootout, but why don't you share the trophy? Because your girls are dead. So they go, two captains go back, and Yasmin goes to her team and says, we can do a penalty shootout or share the trophy. And Yasmin's goalkeeper and the girls all cry out, share the trophy, Yasmin. We've had enough. We don't, our parents are here. Our friends are here. We couldn't take responsibility. The goalkeeper was in tears. I couldn't face that, Yasmin. Two captains run back. The other captain says, we'll, we'll share the trophy. Yasmin says, we want penalty shootout. <laughs> she goes back to her team and says, they want penalty shootout. <laughs> she takes the penalty, scores it, runs to the, doesn't celebrate, runs to the goalkeeper, takes the jersey off, goes in goal, makes three saves. They win the <laughs> cup. So they win the cup, they get the cup. And the, two things happened, which was really nice, in my opinion. When they had the team photo of the winning team on the field, Yasmin went to the other team and brought them into the photo because mm. they played such a great game. Sure. I thought it was a mm. lovely sign of character. The second thing is when the other coach was interviewed about the game, the opposition coach, he's, he said, it, that girl is amazing because she was the girl with the least ability on the field. Wow. Yasmin, Yasmin was not a good player but she was an unbelievable character. Mm. And that dominated the, the, the situation and the result. 
Uh, and she was asked why she'd taken all those measures. And she said, well, I dream about soccer all the time, but I never dream about sharing. I only dream about winning. Mm -hmm. That's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Love it. Um, you talk in one of the, the, the chapters about basically getting out of your own way. Yes. And uh, I think this is, this is one, again, for coaches. We, we tend to get in our own way. Sometimes we get in our team's way. Yes. Sometimes we get in our team's <laughs> way. So give us, give, us some, uh, give us some help. How do we get out of the way? Well, it, it's a very important part of the book because at least 60%, I get a lot of private clients, top people who come to see me uh, to help with the problem. And 60% of the people I get, the problem is with them, not the situation. They are reacting to the situation wrongly. They're not dealing with the situation. They're overcome emotionally or whatever. So I think that the getting out your own way is such an important skill for coaches. I was working with a coach the other day. He was playing in, in an unbelievable, important final. He was in the, the, the championship final, semi-final and final, and it was very important to him. And I was concerned about him feeling that importance, feeling that anxiety. So I said to him, the health of the team is a reflection of the face of the coach. The health of the team is a reflection of the face of the coach. If the coach looks anxious, worried, concerned, the team will feel that way. If the coach walks in the dressing room with a big smile on his face, a cigar in his hand and saying, whoa, championship time, how good is that? The team relax and start to laugh and they'll play better. So I, I think all sorts of strategies are available for helping the coach get in the way. But I, I think one of the things I stress in the book is sometimes the coach can't do this on their own. It's, it can be a very lonely profession. You can feel very isolated. You can feel under tremendous pressure. I think every coach needs a thinking partner, which is a service I offer to many of my, my existing coaches. That's somebody to talk through the situation and perhaps like I illustrated before, to help them change the story back from this is awful to this is okay. This is a problem to this is a challenge. And so, I think perhaps one of the strategies coaches ought to use is not to get isolated, to have somebody neutral experience that they can share their story with, who can perhaps lead them back into a more positive frame of mind. It's really good, Bill. You know, I, I, uh, I want Chris to be my thinking partner, but, you know, he already helps me with my sessions and all these things. So I can't, he's not positive enough for me, Bill. He's not positive enough for me. <laughs> Um, all right, we've got just a few more, Bill, if that's okay with you. Um, yes. Again, the book is Changing Your Story, 20 Life Lessons Drawn from uh, Elite Sport. And if you're a coach, um, this will be the most, best money you will spend this holiday season by far for your teams. It's just phenomenal. And obviously, we're here with Bill Bezik, and he is just, just wonderful and takes some time with us. So I'm on to the next one, uh, Bill. Um, and this is, I think, a really, really important one. And I think when I highlighted in the book is um, defining the moment, the price of gro growth may be failure. And I think that's something that a lot of times coaches don't want to think about, don't want to talk about. But 
is extremely important. Yes, because failure often represents the most important chance to learn. So Arsenal, two weeks ago, got beat 4-0 by Liverpool. Hammered. Mm -hmm. And the assistant manager, Steve Round, who's a, an old student of mine, called me coming out of the stadium and said, how do we deal with this? I said, you know, it's, it, I call this a thunderbolt, Steve. It'll happen every season. You'll go into a game thinking you're fine, you're ready, you're perfect, you're, the boys or the girls are ready to play, and you'll come off 4-0 down. It's a thunderbolt. But what a great opportunity it is to find out what's wrong with your team, how you can improve your team, because there's some wonderful lessons in that. So I would take this constructively. I would say to the team, boys, it's a thunderbolt. These things happen. But there are some very important lessons from it, which we can learn from. So I, I think mistakes are, I, I remember the great story of Kobe Bryant. In his first year as a professional, in the playoffs, he missed three shots in the last minute of the game to take his team through. And the commentators, the television commentators, were astounded, the great Kobe Bryant. And at the end of the game, he went to the bench and he sat with a towel on his head. And the commentators were saying, how he must be feeling, how bad he must be feeling. And when he eventually stood up and came to the edge of the court, they interviewed him and they said, Kobe, how, what were you feeling then? He said, feeling, feeling, what's feeling got to do with it? I was working out why I'd missed those shots. I know now why I missed those shots. Last season as a, as a college player, I played 28 games. This is my 84th game of the season. My legs have gone. I need to do more work in the gym. I know the answer now to my issue. That is fantastic. That's taking a major mistake in a major game, controlling your emotions, getting beyond your emotions, and defining what was wrong. And that's what coaches do. They take a situation which is not good, they get beyond the emotion of the situation, and they say, what can we do about it for the next time so we get stronger and better as a team? That's the way to drive it. You never win a championship without defeats along the way, without setbacks. Every setback is a step towards winning a championship because it's learning. Uh, so, so true and, and feeds right into the next piece I wanted to ask you about is this piece of controlling your emotions. Because yeah. we've all seen, we've all, look, we've all done it. Like we've all had moments where we've, we've lost control of our emotions. Um, we can recognize it. We can see it when it happens in games and, you know, see it with our own players or see it with other players and things like that. But I wanted to um, uh, just ask maybe for some suggestions on how to help people control their emotions in those real high stress time periods. Yes. It's, it's a, it's a big question, Chris. There's no doubt about it. It's, it's a very emotional activity of sport. I think it's emotional because there's a result. There's an outcome. And I think one of the hardest things for a coach, especially in American sport, say college sport, is not to get there dominated by the result. 
not to coach the result, coach the game, not the result. And uh, I think the one of the best phrases I've heard in the last few years is, let the winds come to you. Focus on the process. Focus on teaching your, your players to play soccer excellently. And if you can control your, dominate your discipline, your thinking, into focusing on the process and talking about the process, then the winds will come to you. So I talk to my local high school regularly. It's part of my community work. And I say to the kids, so you want to pass your examinations to go to university? That's fantastic. I love it. But what can you do about that? You want to do it, but what can you do about it? You can study excellently today. Then you can study excellently tomorrow. Then you can study excellently the day after that. And those examinations are coming to you. Success is coming to you because you're putting the work in. You're doing it day after day. So I think that one of the major things, Chris, in answer is focus on the process of coaching, not the result. You can't do anything about the result. If you get a bad result, it's because you've not got the process right. So focus on the process. And if you focus on the process of coaching excellently day after day, you're making that result more possible. Those results will come to you. The second thing is more practical perhaps is I'm a big advocate of traffic lights. In a, in a traffic light situation, uh, certainly in this country, green is go, green is flow, green, everything's going well. When our team is in green, we are flowing, we are playing well, we are controlling possession, we're dominating territory, we're getting balls into the final third, we're doing well. When our team is in the red or we're in the red, everything stops, everything grinds to a halt. Nobody likes to drive up and see the lights change to red. Oh God. So red's not good. Amber, we have amber in this country. I don't know where you have it, but amber is a great color because it says you are moving from green to red. You've got 15 seconds to change or, or go into red. And what I teach my coaches is to recognize going into red is not helping them coach well. It's hurting them. It's hurting their team. It's probably hurting their family as well. Going, staying in green is a matter of, you can't always stay in green. If you move to amber, you have the big question. Do you want to go on to red or do you want to come back into green? And I, it's teaching the skills of going into amber, getting upset with a decision with the referee and making that decision, I'm gonna go back into the green, not going into the red and getting whatever, yellow card or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it, with, with, with players, with coaches, I would and with, with teams, I would develop some strategies that they were comfortable with. So we've got a top Premier League player plays with two rubber bands on his wrist. And when he's going into amber, he snaps the rubber bands. And that triggers his thinking. And he goes, breathes in, walks away, calms down, stays in the game. 
beautiful. Works. Yeah, it's it awesome. Um, let me, and again, uh, Bill, we just got a few more, if that's okay with you. This has been just yeah, yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Um, refuse, uh, where am I? Refuse to be the victim overcoming setbacks, right? I think it's kind of right in with, with what we're talking about now, but, um, you know, I think that was a really great chapter in the book about, about refusing to be the victim. Cause I think that happens a lot of times, right? It, you know, you've had a rough game or you've had an issue and it's just easy to say, oh, well, we had all these things go wrong. And, and, and you know, I think it's important that you have to have to be able to overcome the setbacks. My favorite story in the book is in the introduction. It's about Clint Eastwood. Mm -hmm. He's playing golf and his partner asks him, how old are you, Clint? He said, I'm 88 on Monday. And his partner says, wow, what are you going to do? He said, I'm going to start a new movie. He says, how do you do it? And Clint says, I wake up every morning and don't let the old man in. Yep, it's awesome. Now, that's really important for me because I have Parkinson's. So in the morning, it's difficult for me to get dressed. I have, I have a lot of difficulty with basic movements. So I wake up every morning and I think of Clint Eastwood. I suppose I, I, that's a bit strange that, Chris. I think a lot of women... <laughs> Well, women should think of Clint Eastwood, but not me. So, but it, it inspired me. And it's inspired a lot of the Parkinson's people I talk to. Because what it says is, I wake up in the morning and don't let the old man in. What it says is, I choose my attitude. And I'm choosing not to be a victim of Parkinson's. I have Parkinson's, but it doesn't have me. Mm -hmm. I'm choosing to be a fighter. The two main dimensions of the mind. I am refused to be a victim. I'm choosing to be a fighter. And this is so important in competitive sport because, as you said, Matt, there are so many things thrown at us where we could finish up in victim mentality. Mm -hmm. And we have to, and to be honest, we all do. We all, we all drop into victim mentality time and time again. But it's recognizing that we are there. This is not me. This is not what I'm about. This is not what my team's about. We are not victims. We fight. And I think it, with this generation coming through, this young generation, which is a wonderful generation, but it's got some specific issues about resilience, adversity, facing challenge, commitment. Um, we need to concentrate on refusing to let them be victims. Because their mother isn't there to sort things out, they have to stand up for themselves. They might go into victim mentality. It's too hard. It's too difficult, mm. coach. You're asking too much of us. We've got to move them into fighter mentality. This is a challenge I can deal with. I can cope with this. Together we'll get through this. So you're changing the language of your team. You're changing the language of these kids coming through. Their language has been dominated by very nice upbringing, very helpful parents. You need to change the language to, I can do this for myself. I can stand up. I can, I can fight. I refuse to be a victim. It's, uh, it's great. Yeah, it's great uh, advice, you know, and, and you know, we're, I'm hearing all of these things. First of all, I'm extremely motivated at the moment. Yes, 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 <laughs> right? yes. Hey, so, our season just ended. 
you know, <laughs> film a movie yet. Maybe I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I love the uh, the spinning plates. Oh, love yeah. the spinning plates. Yeah. The, the symbolism and the imagery of the spinning plates. Talk to us about the spinning plates. It was wonderful, Chris. It was absolutely wonderful. I, I love America and I love Americans because they've got so many great qualities, really good qualities. And one of the qualities they have is they're not afraid to share their ideas. <laughs> and, and I was talking, it, it could have been SMU, Chris. I, yeah. <laughs> um, I was talking to a group of freshmen, ladies, about the difficulty of coping with the new life they found themselves, first year at college, so many conflicting demands, and being a soccer player, how you balance things out. And this, I, was, I thought it was going quite well to this girl in the, in the back of the crowd says, I don't think you understand, Bill. Let me show you what, what it means to us. So I said, okay, fine, come on. <laughs> Tall, very attractive girl came up to the front and she said, do you know what spinning plates are? You put a plate on the end of a cane and spin it and it spins for a while and it begins to slow down and drop off. If you're not careful, you can crack plates. She said, right, I'm spinning the first plate. I'm studying medicine. I think it's too hard for me. And then she says, I'm, I'm spinning another plate. I'm doing a soccer, I've got a soccer scholarship. It's definitely too hard for me. And then I'm spinning a third plate. My mother rings me four times a day. It's driving me crazy. Then she said, oh, the first plate's going to fall. I need to go back and spin that. The second plate, and I've got the third plate. Then, I do it. then I'm spinning the fourth plate. My boyfriend at college, my boyfriend at home is coming to visit this weekend. My boyfriend at college doesn't want him to. <laughs> <laughs> and, then she said, and sometimes I get tired of spinning the plates. And I just let them crash to the floor. <laughs> and it was a wonderful symbolic way of demonstrating that Sometimes you can get overwhelmed by so many responsibilities in your life. And it, it's so important to teach young people prioritization and planning their day, their week, structuring their responsibilities uh, and teaching them to face up and not, not go into meltdown. And that was my point with the freshmen. They have to learn to proportion time to various things and deal with things as they go along. So we actually took M Melissa's case in more detail. And I said, have you ever had an honest conversation with your mother about how many phone calls you need in a day? She said, I don't like to tell her. Well, I think you've grown up now. I think you should talk to her. One phone call a day. Then I think your boyfriend's situation, you can sort out for yourself. <laughs> I think it should perhaps be easier. Life will be easier with one rather than two. <laughs> uh, she went on to graduate. She was very, she's a very successful doctor. Um, and that was nice to hear that she'd done yeah. well. Yeah. You know, you know, Bill, it's just so impressive. And it just tells you when you, when you speak to these people, how they're able to, to open up and share with you um that life lessons and it comes from the comfort of talking to you there's no there's no doubt in my mind um, i think i think that's a very important point you made there matt because it's always been my belief that i'm not the one with the solutions the the person coming to see me has got the solutions they just can't get to it mm -hmm. i'm just a i'm just a conduit to help them get to the solution but very often the people i'm dealing with 
are very intelligent, very bright, very knowledgeable, and they have the solution, but they're blocked in their thinking. I just help them unblock. That's great. Um, this is my last one from, from this, and I have just another question or two for you, but um, I liked about the, doing the right thing, being accountable, issues with entitlement, and stressing responsibilities. I think you talked about, you know, it's it's a tough field that we're in a lot of times, and we do come across some players that are very entitled, that have been the superstar their whole time, and and um, and how do we how do we deal with that? How do we make them accountable? I, I start the the twenty life lessons with responsibility and accountability mm-hmm. because I think those are two very important lessons for our young people to learn. Very often they arrive at college or whatever, professional sport, and they've not taken a great deal of responsibility. They've been helped so much on their pathway. They've not learned to stand up for themselves. And also they find accountability very difficult because they've not been criticized very much. They've not been held to be accountable. People have helped them. Um, I, have two gra- I have six grandchildren, but I have two little ones nearby. And I see a lot of them, two little boys. And my policy is set them a task, a little game, something to build. And when they say, I can't do it, I say, well, I think you can. It's a challenge. I think you've got to stay with it. I will help you eventually, but I'd like you to do it for a bit longer. Try that. And so many of our young generation have been brought up by people, parents and friends who help them do things rather than allow them the space to do things for themselves. So I I think the accountability thing is very important in terms of growing up and facing responsibility for taking a situation. Um, And doing the right thing, you mentioned, Matt. Mm -hmm. I find that people know what the right thing is. They may get upset and emotional they may see everything as negative but actually when you say to them what is the right thing to do in this situation they know what the right thing is so when I was with uh, one of my Premier League teams the coach brought me a sheet of paper which had 24 rules he was going to give the team (laughs) I said (laughs) you want them to remember this (laughs) you want to remember the first two Um, I said I'll give you another sheet and I wrote my sheet do the right thing and I said I'll talk to them about that so I met the players and said we need some structure to our working together some ways we, we accept we work together responsibilities we have but I think we could capture it in this phrase do the right thing what does that mean to you the players knew be on time be supportive of the other players in the team, accept the leadership, follow the path, accept the goals of the team, take care of your own job, be the best you could be, eat well, sleep well, live a lifestyle of an athlete. They knew. It just came out. Absolutely. So I said, right, well, that's what we do. Our rule is do the right thing. And it worked beautifully. And I, I, I think that that's as much as you need to do with people. It's say, what is the right thing to do in this situation? They know. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Chris, you got one more? 
No. I think I'm good, Matt. I okay. I'm good. I'm, I'm trying I got to get all of this two, in, and uh, yeah, <laughs> I've made a lot of notes. Um, I've uh, I've learned a lot in in this short period of time, and uh, you've been you've been fantastic, Bill. Yeah, Thank I really you. have, and I I got to get two quick things in, Bill. Okay. I need one good um, Manchester United or Alex Ferguson story um, <laughs> that you guys. I mean, I, I'm just always so blown away how how awesome your time there was uh, with them. And is there any, anything you, any good one you'd want to share with us? Uh, there's, there's a lot of Alex <laughs> stories. I'll tell you about my interview if you like. Sure. That'd be great. Well, I was at Derby County and uh, I was home at the weekend and Saturday night, my wife and I were watching television at about 10 o'clock Saturday night and the phone went and I answered the phone and a voice went, Bill, Alex here. I'm going to my wife. It's Alex Ferguson. It's Alex. <laughs> I'd like to talk to you. Okay. Tomorrow morning, seven o'clock at the training ground. Sunday morning, seven o'clock at the training ground. Oh, okay, Alex, I'll be back. <laughs> I was there at seven o'clock. He'd just come out of the gym and he, we made tea and toast. We took it into his room. And I'm like a kid looking around his room. It's magnificent. And he says to me, he's pouring the tea. We sat on two sofas and he's, he's pouring the tea and he said, Bill, how do I keep my team number one? And I knew the answer. I knew the answer. I said, think, train and behave like you're number two every day. He said, right. wow. oh, I love that. And he, he ran to his desk to write it down. <laughs> and he came back and said, when do you start? <laughs> really next monday then he asked me the question i didn't know the answer to how much do you want <laughs> and I knew. so that was that was that was a fun time it, it was very what he showed me about alex was that lesson was isn't a powerful lesson he was totally utterly focused on winning if, if he thought i could add one percent I think his natural inclination was, what do we need this guy for? But yeah. some people some people had said to him, you want to talk to this guy. But he was so focused on getting the edge to win that if, if he, if by one reply, I showed him that I could perhaps give the club 1% extra, he'd take it. Fantastic. That's great. Yeah. yeah. So um, have you been able to watch Sunderland till I die? I have. What do you think? What do you think to it? I'll die before they win. <laughs> uh, I thought it was a very realistic account behind beneath the glamour. Mm -hmm. I, I, I worked at Sunderland, and, and the present manager Lee Johnson is a great friend of mine. I've worked with him at Bristol City. Um, it, it, it's it's a club where the expectations of the fans, because of the rather difficult environment they live and work in exceed by massive amount the the talent of the of the, of the squad mm -hmm. and it's the same with newcastle it's it's same with middlesbrough those three northeastern clubs where life is tough when life is tough the chairman of middlesbrough once said to me life for our fans is black and white during the week that they melt they just they have jobs which are very difficult. But on Saturday, we give them colour. 
when they come to the football. And they want something we can't possibly give them. So Sunderland, expectations very high, delivery lower, result, angst, dissatisfaction, mm. constant change, constantly seeking new managers. Uh, very difficult times. But it was yeah. a good, it was a good film. It, it was it was reality. I'm afraid. Yeah. Many clubs yeah. that that is. I I was Manchester United, which was one reality, and then Sunderland, which was another reality. Yeah. Well, really, really well said. Um, I do think Chris, we do have to give credit to Brett Irwin for for setting this up for us. Uh, Thanks, Brett. Uh, we, yeah, we've been on. Uh, this is over 50 shows and. There's no question we've just hit the top of the mountain with our, with our interview people. Uh, Bill, your time has been invaluable. Can't thank you enough. Again, the book, Changing Your Story, 20 Life Lessons Drawn from Elite Sport, um, Sports Psychologist Bill Bezik, uh, just the best. And again, it, you're crazy if you don't go and, and get this book. Bill, I know, I know it's on Amazon. Anywhere else, Bill, is it just on all the major kind of spots to buy it or... All, all the major spots, yeah. It's, yeah. it's an audio version as well. Yeah. I have to say, if it helps coaches, there is a, a couple of top premier clubs in this country have bought copies for all their players and staff, and they're using them as study basis. So various groups of players and staff are going away, looking at life lesson number one, and coming back to report to the squad about how that can help their particular team advance mentally and emotionally. So it's got a number of uses which will help coaches. It's a great exercise for any team. It would be absolutely, great. absolutely. I really, really, really enjoyed it. Um, and and obviously, want to give a shout out to Clemson, who, uh, who Bill no. works with with Bill. Yeah, that was a fantastic win for them in the championship yesterday. Yes, good old Clemson. I'm so proud for Mike Noonan, the first guy I met when I came in 1995. He was waiting at the airport for me. And he took me straight away to the Irish pub. And I knew he was a good guy. <laughs> that told me what a good guy he was. And we've, we've been strong friends ever since. He's like another son to me. And that's, to see him, see him win the championship is, is so good. Yep. Go class, go Tigers. Yes. All right, Bill. Listen, thank you so much, College thank Soccer you, Nation. Bill. Really appreciate you. We, we will get it out. And again, go buy the book. You're crazy if you don't. If you're a coach, worth your salt. This will, uh, this will be fantastic for you and your team and your staff, for sure. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Chris. Good to All talk. Right, Great seeing you. You too, Bill. Good health. Happy Christmas. Yeah. Yes, Merry Christmas. Take care. All right, Chris. There is no... Who is following that interview is going to be my first question. No, uh, you know, we might have to consider ending the podcast because <laughs> I don't think we can follow up with anything better. How good was he? Oh my God. I mean, so, and he just, you know, you hear him in the convention. I've heard him for years now and, and always, I mean, I, I literally get there early uh, to make sure I get a seat. I take big time notes. I've read his other books. Um, and he seems so genuine when he's up on the stage and you're just so nice to see that that's really who he is. Uh, he's just wonderful. And, and, so open and honest. I don't know how, I don't know how authors do it, but I don't know if they're this open to say so much about the book, but the book's great. And that was just an absolute treat. You know, you, you talk to him and you feel like you're talking to your best friend. You yeah, exactly. It just makes it so, uh, it's, it's so comfortable, you know, and, and yeah. so talk to, and, and he's one of these guys that he listens, right. He, he just oh yeah. Do all the talking, 
Uh, but then when he's talking, like you're, you're hanging on every word because absolutely every word you're, you're, you're intrigued by and, and the thoughts that he has and, and the ideas. Uh, and even, you know, some of the things that, that, you know, we talked about in, in the interview with them, you're, you're like, man, he actually really hung up on that guy. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, yeah. Come, back a, come back with a different story. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it's so articulate. That was, that was a really a joy. And then I like all our interviews, but that one's, that one has gone to the top. That jumps uh, jumps a lot of really good ones we've had. So, um, and again, the book I love. The, you know, again, I I like those kind of books in that spot. And there are a number of things that I'm going to try and do with my team, no question about it, and stuff to really think about in in our coaching coaching lives for sure. So, awesome. Um, all right, so let's uh, let's kind of wrap this up. What are we looking forward to coming up, Chris? Well, Matt. We ain't got much going on, do we? <laughs> dead the dead period coming up. Yes, right? yes. We need to tell everybody about the dead period. So the dead period is we cannot recruit off campus. We can't have people on campus. Our campuses are pretty much shut down anyway for the holiday season. So this is what always happens, really, with Chris Bryan and I. We go in, we're like, oh, this is great, this dead period. Oh, we can take a break. We can kind of, you know, a little bit unwind a little bit, but also spend some time with our family. And then three or four days in, I call Chris. I'm like, what are you doing? Nothing. Bored out of my mind. What are you doing? Yeah, same thing. So it is great that we have we have to give props, Chris. Karen Hoppe, when she was in Brian's role in the uh, USC night soccer coaches, really pushed for the stead period. I think a lot of people fought it. I was one of them that wasn't sure about it. And that now it really is one of the best things we do as a group to be able to have some time at home and time with your family and, um, you know, do those things. So props to, to Coach Hoppe. For part really of our, pushing part it, of our legacy for sure. Right? Yeah, absolutely, like, absolutely. Now, what's Brian done, by the way? Yeah, and what has he done besides <laughs> make committees for other people to do work that I haven't done anything? <laughs> that is absolutely. We, we need to that's ask him legacy. that. Like, that's his legacy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's his legacy. Committees um, and making us chairman of all. Anyway, um, but you know, we do have the Christmas Sugar Bowl right down in New oh, Orleans. Yeah. You're going to be in New Orleans. I'm going to bring my family's coming down to New Orleans and. Uh, Old Miss is playing Baylor. Yeah, we're yeah. going to go to the Sugar Bowl, and then we're going to stay and stay, watch the Saints. I'm going to be yelling day, so. toddy and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. I got Chris. I'm going to have him, I'm him wearing the Ole Miss stuff. It'll be great. Um, but, yeah, I mean, obviously holiday season, we're talking about what the next episode will be. That'll be a surprise for everyone because we don't know what we're doing yet. We don't know what we're doing But yet. that will be the last one. It'll be a surprise for us, too. Yeah, exactly. That will be the last one probably of the year. We'll take a little break and come back as we start talking about spring soccer. But – yeah, we we've hit we've hit a home run with this one, Chris. This is uh, as good as it gets, and uh, super super happy for Bill to come on and do it with us. Very very nice of him. He was great, and and I'd say to everybody, buy the book, buy the book. Absolutely. You know, it's it's as close as you can get to him. So go ahead and buy yeah. the book. Yeah, exactly. And let's be clear, we don't get one dime for it, but I would recommend it to every single person, and he's worth every penny that he gets from it for sure. So, all right, Chris. Well, this has been a great episode. Um, again, thanks DJM Productions and Darren, our producer. Um, and we'll be back with you guys in the next week or so for our end of the year um, College Soccer Nation podcast. Otherwise, have a great week and we'll talk to you soon. College Soccer Nation is out. If you have questions for Coach Petroselli or Coach Mott, you can reach them at cpetroselli at mail.smu.edu or mmott at olemiss.edu. College Soccer Nation is presented by DJM Productions and available on all your fine podcast outlets. Download it, give a review, tell a friend.